Good morning, church. Can y'all hear me? Morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 22. And um, if, you, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Psalm 22, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. All right, Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted were not put to shame. But I am a worm, and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. Pray with me. Jesus, these are your words. God, not, not just man's words, but your very words. And as we Read them, and as I preach them, and as we listen to them, God, we just ask that your holy word would, would change us and make us more, more like Jesus. And God, if I say anything that's wrong, I pray that they would forget it, never remember it. And God, I just ask that your spirit would guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, before I begin, I, I must confess I'm actually very afraid to be up here this morning, and it's with great fear and trepidation that I preach. I'm very scared, and I have a slide that illustrates my fear. <laughs> Redeemer pastors, keeping orthopedic surgeons in business since summer 2018. Someone actually texted me this photo and said, uh, with a quote, you're next. So if... If I have any authority to do so, I would just like to rebuke that from the pulpit right now. Um, anyway, Adam and Daryl, our pastors, they have suffered, and they have suffered in a very manly way. Uh, so kudos to them. Uh, it's a funny picture, but it actually relates to the topic of Psalm 22. You know, we've been going through the book of Psalms, and uh, the kind of tagline is, is covering the whole spectrum of life. And Psalm 22 is, is, is simply a fascinating psalm. It's fascinating for many reasons. One reason is the opening line of the psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Many people instantly recognize that as coming from the lips of Jesus in Mark 15. So that makes it fascinating. It's also fascinating if you've studied it, because once you get into it, you see these, these prophecies about the crucifixion of Jesus, very specific prophecies uh, written here in the book of Psalms by David 1,000 years before Jesus was crucified. Uh, so, I mean, if you're a skeptic this morning, then the sermon for you is archaeology. You know? how, did, how did these words appear 1,000 years before Jesus was crucified? And some people think even a couple hundred years before crucifixion even existed. So uh, it's very interesting for these reasons. But I think... The reason it's most interesting and most fascinating is because Psalm 22 touches on a topic that is 
very important and very relevant for everyone. If you're a non-Christian or if you are a Christian, if you are young or if you are old, wherever you are in life, if you're American or Indonesian, it doesn't matter. The topic is critical to everyone, and the topic is suffering. Psalm 22 addresses the topic of human suffering. And we all have the question about suffering. Why do we suffer? Why is there suffering? What does my suffering mean? What does God think about my suffering? And so I want to talk about what Psalm 22 talks about, which is suffering. But before I do that, I want to make a few disclaimers, maybe a few precursory remarks. Uh, number one, uh, I, to state the obvious, I'm 26 years old, uh, every bit of it, which puts me in a weird stage in life. All the college students think that I'm ancient, and um, all of you think that I'm a, an infant. Um, all that to say, I, I recognize that I'm only 26, and I haven't suffered very much in life. And many of you have suffered far, far more than me. And being a young man and coming to this church as a member and now being on staff at this church and just being aware of the different kinds of suffering that you all have endured and how faithfully many of you have endured it, uh, it, it is challenging to me, it is encouraging to me, and it's very humbling to me. And any one of you is probably more qualified to speak on this topic than me. So that's my first disclaimer. But the Bible talks about it. And so let's see what the scripture has to say about it. The second disclaimer is that suffering is not simple. Many things in life, I guess, are simple. Suffering is not one of them. Uh, and I was even thinking about it, you know, some scholars think that the book of Job was the first book ever written. And if you've ever read Job, your first time through at least, you're probably like, what is going on? Who is right? Who is wrong? It's all about human suffering. Some people have, have said maybe Job was the first book written because human suffering is a topic that God wanted to put down and print before other topics. I'm not sure, but suffering is not simple. And so I'm not, I'm not offering a, a three-point solution to your particular suffering this morning. Um, sermons can't heal people. Only the Holy Spirit can heal people. And my prayer, though, is that through his word this morning, he can bring some encouragement. He can bring some healing. Um, and lastly, uh, I'll, I'd like to begin with a little parable, maybe a short story of a time that I suffered. My mom and dad are here this morning. Um, I have great parents, uh, great mom, great dad, and so this is a story that kind of uh, shows the greatness of my mom and also the foolishness of me. So I, uh, I, in high school, I worked at this store called God's Country Outfitters. It was kind of like a Bass Pro Shop, an outdoor store, hunting, fishing, things like that. And uh, my job was to do all the things that nobody else wanted to do. That's why businesses hire high schoolers. So uh, I cleaned the bathrooms. Um, I put tags on every article of clothing in the store. Every now and then I got to build a deer stand, so that was pretty cool. But at least once a day I had to jump up and down in the dumpster to make room for more trash, you know, <laughs> just stuff that you're too young and dumb to know that's weird and you're being used, but anyway. Um, so uh, I was in this phase in high school where I was wearing flip-flops everywhere I went. And my very wise mother um, told me, she said, son, 
because I even wore them to work. And she said, son, you need to wear a real pair of shoes when you go to work. But I was smarter than my mom back then, so of course I, I didn't. I kept wearing flip-flops. And one day, I was stacking pallets out in the back of the, you know, behind the store. We had a guy who would come and pick up our pallets. So I had to stack them, and uh, I was turning to step over a pallet, and my foot landed on a, on a board, you can imagine, with a nail sticking straight up. You know where it's going. And the nail went through my flip-flop, up through my foot, and uh, came back out. My wife told me this was a gross story, and I shouldn't tell it, so I'm sorry. But, um, so I stepped on a nail. Um, I freaked out. I went to my boss. She was having a conversation. It didn't seem right to interrupt her, so I just kind of waited. Uh, <laughs> I'd left a trail of blood all the way through the back of the store. Uh, she finally turned around. She took me to the doctor. And it was a moment of suffering, but that moment of suffering led to many more moments of suffering. It was only the beginning of my suffering. Um, when you step on a nail, you know what you have to get, a tetanus shot. And um, so I went to the doctor, and um, you know, I don't faint with needles. I do philosophically reject the idea that stabbing me will, will heal me somehow, but a tetanus shot really does hurt. That hurt a lot. I got a tetanus shot, but that wasn't the end of my suffering. My foot was swollen for weeks. You know, I had to walk around high school just dragging my, my limp foot. Uh, it, it didn't seem to be getting any better. So then I was worried. Am I ever going to get healed? Do I have to amputate my foot? Or, you know, what's going to happen? Who knows what, what might happen? Um, but the worst, the worst pain of my suffering actually came uh, with, uh, when my mom, noticing my foot wasn't get, getting better, decided that what needed to happen was that she needed to, to mash the spot where the nail had gone in. And uh, I also categorically reject mashing a wound as a form of healing. But my mom, you know, a mother's intuition is better than a doctor's diagnosis. So my, my mom is so sure this is going to work, and I let her. And it was painful, uh, partially because the pain. Also, my feet are very ticklish. So ticklish, I don't even touch my feet. But uh, so it's this awkward laughing, crying pain, and, and she mashed it. I'm sorry this is gross, but she mashed it. And then something did pop out of it. At first we thought it was like a worm, a black worm, but it was probably just coagulated blood or something. And uh, she mashed it, and, it, and it's amazing, but uh, it started to heal, and my foot got better. And so uh, I still have a scar, but I'm not suffering with, with my foot anymore. So you're probably wondering how this relates to our topic. I'm going to try to tie this in. Um, children, here's the moral of the story for you. Your mother is always right about what shoes you should wear. Um, you know, there, there is suffering in our world, and uh, there, there are nails, and we step on nails, but, you know, most of our suffering is worse than nails. I would just say it's worse than nails, you know, um, because most of our suffering doesn't make sense. You know, we're not always sure that we deserve it. Did I deserve my suffering? Well, yes. You know, I didn't listen to my mom and I stepped on a nail, but sometimes we suffer in ways and it's not a direct one-to-one. It's not, well, I, I did this bad thing and now there's suffering in my life. It's, well, why, why am I sick? You know, why do I have to have this operation done? Why am I not getting this job? Why did I get passed over for this other person? We don't always understand our suffering and most of our suffering is not a quick fix it's not something that is healed with weeks or days. It might be healed with months and years and lifetimes. Our suffering 
is ongoing, an incurable medical condition, the suffering of losing a loved one and learning to live without him or her, of being a minority in a majority culture, the constant pressures of career, of family, or society all weighing down on us. The truth about our deepest suffering is that it's not just physical. It is physical sometimes, but it's also emotional. It's mental. Our suffering, it's like, it's like tentacles that, that wrap us and grip us and squeeze us. Our suffering is worse than nails. And, and that leads us to ask the question, what do we do? What do we do when our suffering is worse than nails? Well, friends, I think that is what Psalm 22 is about. Psalm 22 addresses the reality of human suffering. And if you have a bulletin, uh, you can look on the very back. If you like to take notes, you can do it here. Um, my whole sermon is really going to be in one, one sentence, kind of a question and answer. And so the question is this. What is God's answer to a suffering that is worse than nails? And I have a um, slide here. Here's the answer. You can go ahead and throw that up there. God's answer to a suffering that's worse than nails is a salvation that is better than relief. And so if you, you know, want to take a nap, you could do that now. But here's my, here's my whole sermon, and I'm going to explain where I get that. So really quickly, look, at, look down at Psalm 22 if you have it open. I think you could slice Psalm 22 into uh, kind of three parts, which is convenient for a three-point sermon, right? Um, and verses 1 through 11 are kind of the first part maybe, 12 through you know, maybe 21 or the second, and then 22 to the end is kind of the third part. So I've got three points real quick about suffering that I hope will help us understand God's salvation that's better than relief. So here's what we learned from suffering from Psalm 22. Um, here's my first point. You can go to the next slide. Here's the first point. God gives you permission to suffer. God gives us permission to suffer and to be honest in our suffering. Now, you might be thinking, why do I need permission to suffer? Well, let me, I'll try to explain that. Let's see what the psalm teaches us. So look, look, at, uh, look at Psalm uh, 22, verses 1 through 11. What's interesting is, in my Bible, there are kind of four stanzas. And the stanzas kind of switch back and forth, right? So w- verses 1 and 2, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. So he feels that God is far away from him. He feels he's far from God. He also feels, so he feels very alone in his suffering. He also feels that his suffering is going on for a long, long time. I cry by day, you do not, you do not answer. I cry by night, I find no rest. But then something interesting happens in verse 3. It starts with the word yet. Do so you see it? So it says, yet... You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. So it's interesting. He's, he's experiencing his suffering, and the, he's feeling the pain of it, but then he stops, and he, he kind of thinks about these theological truths that he knows. But then you get to verse 6, and uh, verse 6, it's kind of like he sinks back into the despair. He says, but I am a worm and not a man. It's almost as if he's like, well, you delivered our fathers, but yeah, they're the fathers. They're these amazing heroes of the faith. But me, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a worm. I'm, I'm not even a man. It's almost as if his suffering is so severe, it makes him feel less than human. 
I'm a worm, is what he's saying. But then, interestingly, look at verse 9. He says, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. I was, on you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. So he kind of remembers, but God, you've been faithful to me in my life in the past, and I know that. What do these verses mean? I think that in covering you know, the whole spectrum of life like the Psalms do, we see David, who's writing this, feeling the full range of emotions that accompany human suffering. The, the, he feels every stab of pain that he knows to be true of his experience, even though he knows these theological truths, and it's almost like he's, he's flipping back and forth between despair and hope. It's almost like he's, he's you know, riding on the sea of suffering, and they're crests of comfort and their troughs of tears, and he's just tossed back and forth. The question for you this morning is, can you relate to David's suffering? Can you think of your suffering and can you relate? You know, so here's what's interesting about this. This we learn from the, you know, the, um, the heading before the psalm even begins in verse 1. This is a song. You know, it says, to the, to the choir master. So there's a choir that's supposed to sing this. According to the doe of the dawn, which is probably a melody, maybe a, a, a rhythm of some sort that they sing it to. So Psalm 22 is actually Song 22. It's a, it's a song, and what we're reading are the lyrics of an ancient worship song, a song that was meant to be worshipped to in corporate worship. Now, the reason that's interesting is because look at the lyrics of this song. I mean... Why are you so far from saving me? Oh my God, you do not answer. I mean, we worship to a song sometimes called Mighty to Save. You know, Savior, he can move the mountains. Our God is mighty to save. Would we feel comfortable worshiping to you are so far from saving? Now, I'm being a little, you know, provocative here, but, but the point is this. This is a worship song. And and the Bible is brutally honest about human suffering. Jesus, Jesus says in John 16, he says, in the world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Paul writes to 2 Timothy, I've been studying that book, and in all four chapters, every single one of the four chapters of 2 Timothy, he, t- he touches on the topic of suffering. He says, share in suffering for the gospel. Endure suffering as a good soldier. If Everyone who wants to live a God life will be persecuted. Suffering is is abundantly clear in the Bible. We will suffer, and the Bible is brutally honest about our suffering. The reason this is important, I think, is summed up uh, by what what one pastor said, and um, I think this is pretty smart. He quotes uh, the modern work of art, that magnificent film, The Princess Bride, uh, where uh, the main character, Wesley, Uh, talking with the princess bride, says to her, Life is pain, highness. Anyone who says otherwise is selling something. And uh, one pastor said this, and it's such a good point, that how beautiful it is to know that the Bible is not selling something. When When we read these words, we know that the Bible is being completely honest about our suffering. And the point is this, the very, the very fact that Psalm 22 is in the Bible as a worship song should encourage us because God is not surprised 
by our suffering. In fact, he has given, through the Holy Spirit and through David, he has given the church songs of suffering to sing to him. The reason I think that's so important and and consoling is because normally when we suffer, our first thought is, why is God doing this to me? Is he mad at me? Is he displeased with me? Am I outside of his will? And thoughts like this can tempt us to despair rather than hope as we go through suffering. But the beautiful thing about Psalm 22 is that there is hope in the midst of suffering. We see that God is still the God of those who suffer. That's, That's why it's so interesting that David cries out, my God, my God, in the midst of his suffering. He's not running away. He's not running away from God with his suffering. He's running to God with his suffering. And why is he doing that? He's doing that because he knows the heart of God. And it, God is a God who, who invites us to come to him with our suffering. And we know that because he delights in this psalm. He doesn't, he doesn't say to David, he doesn't say to the ancient church, uh, what, do you, what do you mean I'm far from saving you? That's bad theology. No, no, go write a more reformed plea for help and come back to me, like fix all that and give me a better plea for mercy. He doesn't say that. He says, come to me with your suffering. Come to me with your song of suffering and I will give you hope. And we see that in verse 24. Skip ahead. It says, he is not despised, talking about God, or abhorred. Abhor means to hate. He is not despised or hated the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him but has heard when he cried to him. The first point is this. God gives us permission to suffer and to be honest in our suffering. And whatever your suffering is this morning, you need to know that God hears you. When you pray, he hears you. When you cry out, he hears. In moments when he feels far from saving you, he has not hidden his face. God gives you permission to suffer and he has given you permission to be honest in your suffering, even when it's worse the nails. So that's kind of the first point we see there. God, God gives us permission to suffer. He, he invites us to come to him with our suffering. But the psalm moves along. So the next, the next point is this, and we can put it up there. God has suffered more than us, and God has suffered for us. That's what this psalm goes on to teach us. In verses 12 through 18. So someone may say, you know, after hearing the first point, well, you know, it's great that God gives me permission to suffer, but why doesn't he just zap away suffering? You know, like why is there suffering to begin with? And uh, if God doesn't like suffering, can't he just, you know, sweep it under the rug, whisk it away? And it's a fair question. Why is there human suffering to begin with? I think, you know, Three quick thoughts to that. The first uh, is that suffering is a problem for everybody, not just Christians, but non-Christians too. Why is there suffering in this world? And if you know, you're not a Christian and you don't believe in a, in a universal God and an absolute truth, uh, and so you don't believe there's a universal rule giver, how can, you, how can you say that suffering is by rule always universally evil if there's no universal rule or absolute truth. You can't categorically reject God, you know, if you don't, you can't categorize anything, you know. So that's an apologetic sort of thought, but that's not the most important one. The second thought is that this question, why is there suffering in the world, 
it needs to pause and think about the Bible's teaching on suffering. You see, there's a story here. God made the world good. And the Bible teaches that we, humanity, we rebelled against God. And we chose suffering. Suffering came into the world because we broke the world, not God. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, in one sense, we all chose to step on the nail. And, and all of humanity has been limping and suffering ever since. That's the story of the Bible. And third, and this is the most important one, this question, it fails to account for one very important piece of data. And, and that is this, the suffering of God. The suffering of God. I mean, hu- human suffering, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem, but how do you answer the suffering of God? And what I mean by that is that the Bible teaches that God is not detached, you know, detached observer, just watching the world wither away from a distance. The Bible says that God chose to do something about our suffering. And that is what the psalm goes on to show us. Psalm 22 actually moves on in to something that's very interesting. If you keep reading, verse 12, many bulls encompass me. They open their mouths wide at me. David starts to move from, from what seems to be just, you know, his emotional experience to a physical description of suffering that's, in a sense, it's hyperbole for him. I mean, he says, my heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to my jaws. Verse 16, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Now, what we know about David is that he never had his hands and feet pierced, not literally. And that's what's so interesting about Psalm 22, as we said earlier, is that this psalm is not just poetic, it is also prophetic. You see, this is talking about the suffering of Jesus. It's more than just the suffering of David, symbolically, and the suffering that we experience symbolically. It's about the suffering of Jesus literally. And if you were to open up to Mark 15 and just compare the two, you would begin to see that it's very, very accurate. So verses uh, you know, 7 through 8 here read, All who see me mock me, they wag their heads at me. Go to Mark 15. Those who passed by him derided him, wagging their heads. Verses 14 through 16, they describe a, a crucifixion. It says, My tongue sticks to my jaws. They pierced my hands and my feet. You see that Jesus was nailed to the cross in Mark 15. And then look at verse 18. It says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Mark 15, they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them. What's so interesting is this, is that the New Testament, in Jesus himself on the cross, we know cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The New Testament takes this psalm and puts it in the lips of Jesus. And Jesus on the cross, he did something amazing. You see, the, point, the whole point is this. The gospel is this, that God is not unconcerned with our suffering from a distance. The gospel is that God entered into the world. Jesus was God and Jesus was man, and he chose to sing our song of suffering. He came to the cross to sing our song of suffering. And what did he suffer? Was his suffering like ours? Was it worse than nails? Yes, it was. It was very much like our suffering. I mean... Jesus was betrayed by a close friend. Jesus' family 
thought that he was, he was out of his mind. Jesus stood trial and he was unjustly condemned. He was passed over for a murderer. His suffering was like ours. It was worse than nails. Let's not just assume that the only suffering Jesus ever experienced was, was being nailed to a tree. But let's, let's look at the suffering of Jesus with some empathy and some sympathy and say, he was a man just like us. He suffered the things that we suffer. In Hebrews 2, it says, Hebrews 2, 17 through 18, it says, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he could be a merciful high priest. So he had to be made like us in every respect. And then it goes on to say, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The important thing for us to think about is that there's no suffering we experience that Jesus himself has not experienced, that God himself has not felt. And I challenge you to think about that. Think about your suffering and think to yourself, did Jesus on earth experience something like this? God's suffering was like ours, worse than nails. But the Bible teaches God's suffering was also unlike ours. You see, while all of these sufferings are great that we've talked about, and while we should consider that our human suffering is, is great, it is, it is severe, and while we should consider all of these things, Jesus did not just come to experience our human suffering in a similar way. But the Bible says he not only came to experience a suffering like ours, but he came to experience a suffering that we will never experience, very unlike ours, more than anything we could ever endure. On the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for him and for him alone, that was not hyperbole. Because Jesus suffered being forsaken on the cross. He was crushed by the full wrath of God. This is what the Bible teaches. The gospel is that Jesus suffered more than nails. And we are not only saved by the physical suffering that Jesus endured. We're not only saved by you know, the, the passion that he experienced, but we are saved by the offering up of his very soul. That's what it says in Isaiah 53. It says, Isaiah 53, 11 says, we are made righteous by the anguish of his soul. Verse 10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. His soul made an offering for guilt. And so you, you can't understand the cross of Calvary really without understanding the garden of Gethsemane. You see, if you were to just read straight through the Gospels, and the youth and I were reading through Mark right now, and I hope we can point this out, but if you read through the Gospels, Jesus is fearless. Someone, you know, they try to throw him off a cliff. He escapes. doesn't stop him from preaching. He walks into the temple. He flips over tables. Fearless. He seems fearless, unbroken, undaunted by everything. He's taking a nap in the middle of a hurricane, you know. Fearless. He's, he's fearless. But then you get to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you guys probably know the story. What happens in the garden? You see Jesus terrified. You see Jesus in such severe agony, he's sweating like drops of blood. He prays, God, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. For one moment, Jesus is afraid. And friends, he, he was not afraid of the cross. He was afraid of the creator. He was afraid of God. This cup that Jesus is talking about is described in Revelation 14, 11, 
where it says the one who rejects God, who rejects the gospel, will, this is what it says, quote, will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Second Thessalonians says the suffering of the the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. This is the cup that Jesus drank. This is the suffering that he endured. And that should make us pause and, and think to ourselves, Jesus has suffered like me. I'm not alone in my suffering. He's able to help me. But that should also pause and make us realize, and he suffered far more than I ever, ever will. You see, the really important question to grapple with is, not only, why is there human suffering? Why is there suffering in our world? But the really interesting question to grapple with is, why was there divine suffering in our world? Whatever this means, it means at least one thing, that God is not unconcerned. He's not uninvolved. He's a player in this game. He has suffered our suffering, and he has suffered even more than our suffering. God suffered more than us, but God also suffered for us. And the promise that he offers is this, salvation. Salvation to those who repent of sin and who believe in him. And this is the third point. We can put it up. God's suffering offers a salvation that's better than relief. God's suffering offers a salvation that's better than relief. And so we've seen that Psalm 22 begins with its back and forth of human the experience of human suffering. And then we saw how it leaves, it leaves the poetic and it really enters into the prophetic, talking about the suffering of God. But what's so interesting is how the psalm ends. Look at verse 21. It says, You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Verse 26 says, The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Verses 27 through 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. It's so interesting. And it makes you have to stop and say, well, how can a psalm that begins with so much suffering, one that also predicts the very suffering of the Messiah, how can it end with so much joy? And the answer is because the suffering of Jesus accomplished something. It actually won something for us. You know, there's, there's one other quote in here that's lifted up off the pages of the Old Testament and placed on the lips of Jesus in the New Testament. Many people know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But many people don't realize verse 22, which says... I will tell of your name to my brothers. Many people don't realize, but this, this is a quote that is given to Jesus and placed in the lips of Jesus in the New Testament as well. Hebrews 2, 10 through 12, it says this. It was fitting that God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that's what he's doing. So God, it's fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory that he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them 
brothers, talking about Jesus. He is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. You see, Jesus suffered to win something. What he suffered to win was he suffered to bring many sons to glory, sons and daughters. They're equal in God's eyes. They're all sons. They have full inheritance. Men and women are all brought to glory. That is what Jesus died to do. First Peter says that Christ suffered once for sins. He suffered once, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God and bring us into his family. And friends, this is good, this is good news. It's good news because even though, like we said, Jesus says in John 16, he says, in the world you will have trouble. He also says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And to be a Christian means that you're not living for this life. We're living for the next. We're living through this life to the glory of God for the next life. And there are two promises here at the very end I want to share with you. The first promise is this. Your suffering has purpose. Your suffering has purpose. We saw that in Hebrews where it says it's fitting that for him in bringing many sons to glory that, that he should have made Jesus perfect through suffering. For those who are sanctified and those who are being sanctified have one source. And the simple fact is this. God is sanctifying us through what we suffer. In Hebrews it goes on to say, it is for discipline you have to endure. He's treating you as sons. You see, the privilege of being a son also includes the, the pain of being a son. I told you I'd tie it in, you know. I was a son of my mom when she loved me and she mashed, mashed on that suffering. And I tell you, I cannot to this, you know, in that moment, I, there was no way I could have understood why she was mashing my foot. Isn't it counterintuitive to bring more pain to fix pain? Like, Shouldn't you bring less pain to fix pain? But she's mashing it for a good reason, and that was to heal me. I know it's it's a silly example, and it's a lot easier to see than what you're suffering. But the Bible is clear that this, this suffering right now is nothing by comparison to the weight of glory that is being prepared for us. Our suffering has a purpose. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And that's not a verse just to throw around when someone is suffering. We probably need to cry with people when they're suffering and, and wait to, to share theology with them. But it is theology, and it is true, that all things work together for good for those who love God. Our suffering has a purpose, even if we don't see it now. We will see it then. We will. And the second promise is this. So the first promise is your suffering has a purpose. The second promise is your suffering has a deadline. And that's the good news. The gospel is that there is a a world to come, a new world where there will be no suffering. God's answer to a suffering that's worse than nails is a salvation that's even better than relief, better than just merely relieving you. He will not only alleviate your particular form of suffering, he will obliterate all suffering. And he will recreate this world in a way that there will never be any suffering. He will not only uh, give us feet that walk, he will give us feet that dance. That's, that's the gospel message. And many people have quotes about heaven that are great, but none of them compare to the quote from Revelation 21 where John is writing and he describes this new world. And he says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people 
and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then he says, Behold, I am making all things new. Friends, in the new world, there will be no more chronic back pain. There will be no more mental illness. There will be no more unemployment. There will be no more anxiety, no more acne, no more braces, no more taxes, no more financial debt, no more homelessness, no more racism, no more politics, no more broken marriages, no more sad hearts. There will be no suffering at all, but everything will be made new. There, you know, there's an old saying in the ancient church, and uh, it, was, it was this, if we have died with him, we will also live with him And if we have endured with him, we will also reign with him. My prayer this morning is this. May God give you and me the grace to endure our suffering today in hope of that final salvation tomorrow. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you have suffered more than us, more than we can even imagine. But God, you also suffered for us. And your word this morning is is that you suffered to be made like us so that you could be a faithful high priest, so that you could minister to our hurts. And God, I know, I just know that there is suffering in this room and that words are powerless in and of themselves to heal suffering. But God, your word brings life. You speak new things into existence. God, I just pray you would move in the hearts of our congregation to encourage us to continue enduring our suffering and to continue having hope in the world without suffering that is to come. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.